The Gospel of Luke is one of the several New Testament books that teens quiz on. Bible quizzing includes the Gospel of Luke. I was thinking this past week, I have been involved with Nazarene Bible quiz, teen Bible quizzing for going on 30 years, which means I have slept on more church Sunday school classroom floors with an air mattress and sleeping bag than just about anybody else in the world. It means that I have spent many, many Friday evenings in the church van with a bunch of middle school boys who take their shoes off and you can smell their stinky feet as you're driving through Boston or someplace to get to one of the tournaments caught in rush hour traffic. I have asked as a coach and a quiz master tens of thousands of questions. It's amazing. One would think that after all of those years of, of quizzing, of asking questions, of answering questions, that I would have memorized the books of Matthew and Luke and Romans and Acts and Hebrews and uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. One would think that after all of those years of being around quizzing, I would have those books memorized, right? Unfortunately, I am one of the world's worst rememberers. I have paraphrases of many, many, many New Testament verses, but that's as far, that's as close as it ever gets. I am a memory-challenged person, and so every year there are 70 or 80 different verses from the book that, or the books that the teens are quizzing on, which are labeled, identified as memory verses, and there are kids who do a much better job than I do memorizing those verses. And uh, one of the things that we've tried to teach them and that I've tried to use myself are mnemonic devices, ways of remembering things. And whenever we do the book of Galatians, we come down to chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's one of the, the, the great mnemonic uh, uh, memory devices is that there are nine fruits of the Spirit listed there, right? Three of them are one syllable, love, joy, peace. Three of them are two syllables, patience, kindness, and goodness. And then the final three are three syllables, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I said, kids, you're going to memorize this verse, and here's a good way to get them in, you know, mostly in the right order, and you'll remember how to do this. And it worked for years and years and years until 2011 when the people that translate the New International Version decided to do a little upgrade. <clears throat> And they changed patience to forbearance. Forbearance, three syllables. It doesn't fit the pattern anymore. What am I going to do? I'd like to write a letter and say, you've messed up Bible quizzers the world over. But, you know, there's a, there's a reason that they update uh, translations like that. And in this case, the... The word macrothumia, which has been translated patience and is translated that way in many, many places in the New Testament, uh, that patience is too broad a word. It encompasses too many different kinds of patience. And macrothumia, the word here, is better translated forbearance because there's a distinction between your garden variety patience and forbearance. 
Forbearance has to do with personal relationships, being patient with people who have all kinds of difficult, uh, uh, challenging idiosyncrasies as opposed to garden variety patience, which just has to do with difficult situations or circumstances. So for instance, patience is the right word to use when you're learning how to use your, your new cell phone. It, it's a thing, it's programmed, it's got apps, it's got features, it's got menu hidden within menu, hidden within menu, and it takes patience, especially when you start to get older, and you don't have much of a memory, it takes patience with that circumstance, as opposed to forbearance, which is what you need when you're dealing with that smug 25-year-old cell, cell, uh, cell phone salesman who, of course, has it all figured out and would like to explain it to you in one easy lesson. That requires forbearance. I got thinking this past week, we are living in a world in which forbearance is in increasingly short supply, isn't it? There are 101 reasons every single day to lose patience with people. One of my new favorite Christian singers, Ellie Holcomb, has a song that she just released called Bridge, which speaks to this issue of forbearance in human relationships. She, she sings, I had it wrong. Turns out there's more to the story than what I thought. And now all the truth, it haunts me. Because what am I not seeing? What else am I missing? No words for this feeling, but that's when I hear your voice speaking. If you want to cross over this great divide, if you long for a day that doesn't feel like night, if you're searching for answers that you cannot find, build a bridge. Build a bridge to the other side. Build a bridge. Be a bridge to the other side. Kind of captures this element of forbearance in our human relationships. All right, I'm going to give it away right now. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. If you want to tune out after this sermon in a sentence, you may do that, but here's what I plan to say today. Forbearance is mercy and patience extended to difficult people by God's grace. I want to write this down before you tune out, though, okay? Forbearance is mercy and patience extended to difficult people by God's grace. I have a, a deep, deep concern as a preacher in a sermon like this. My concern is that people are going to hear me talking about patience and they're going to go home feeling that by their own grit determination you're going to be able to become more patient people. I just need to work harder. I need to study this a little bit more and, and bear down and become a patient person with my mother-in-law. <laughs> but this sermon is not about grit determination. This is not a sermon where you just take this nugget and go home and try harder. This sermon is less about patience and more about how we might actually become more forbearing people. The fruit of the Spirit are qualities of God, aren't they? What is God like? Love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a picture of God, isn't it? So the fruit of the Spirit are qualities of God, but they become available to us, don't they? The God of love, joy, and peace pours out his Holy Spirit in us. And all of a sudden it becomes possible for us to become loving, peaceful, full of joy, and forbearing. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it's not go home and try harder. <laughs> it's something different than that. So here's my, my three points of how to become a more forbearing person without grit determination. In each service, uh, in each of these sermons on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I have given you a real-life human example from the Bible. And in this case, I'm going to borrow from last week the parable of the prodigal son. The father figure in the parable of the prodigal son, of course, is a, is a figure of God. He is the model of forbearance. He is one who was in a position to exact revenge or to make his younger son pay him back in full before restoring any kind of a family relationship. But the father doesn't choose to do that, does he? Instead, he's forbearing. This word macrothumia is oftentimes in the New Testament used not so much for human beings who are having forbearance to one another, but it's, it has to do in describing God's forbearance. The God who could take vengeance yet does not. The God who works patiently, wanting all to come to salvation. You want to hear some examples, some descriptions of the God who forbears? In Paul's letters, Romans chapter 2, he says, Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Why should we be forbearing in the lives of irritating people? Because God has been intent on bringing us to repentance with his forbearance and he wants us to be forbearing to other people to perhaps bring them to repentance. In Romans chapter 9, Paul writes, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? Raise your hand if you're the object of God's wrath. Uh, hello? <coughs> If you were the object of God, that's all of us. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his wrath, whom he prepared in advance for glory? We see God's glory in his forbearance as he holds off his wrath. In Paul's letter to Timothy, first letter to Timothy, he writes, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, Paul says. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. 
So the figure of the Father is the figure of God. Who could pour out his wrath and his vengeance? Who could exact his pound of flesh, but instead, instead patiently waits for the younger son to come to his senses and then welcomes him home with open arms? The older brother, of course, in that parable of the prodigal son, plays the role of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were badgering Jesus, asking questions, saying, why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? Why do you hang out with these people? Why don't you bring, call down the fire of God? Why instead do you, do you sit down to dinner with these kind of people? The older brother is that kind of a person who would insist that grace must be earned. That mercy must be paid for in full. I was also reminded of the Judaizers that Paul is addressing in this letter to the churches of Colossae. These Judaizers who said it's, it's fine to be for, for Gentiles to become Christians, but first they need to obey all of the Old Testament law. <laughs> You've got to earn your way into this. You can't just have the grace of God free and clear. So forbearance is one of the most important qualities of God. It's a, it's a word that encompasses so many other words. Mercy, forgiveness, kindness, love. Forbearance, one of the most important qualities of God. The God who could take vengeance, yet does not, because he's working patiently to bring all to salvation. Our response to God's forbearance is quite often to insist that we, or the person sitting next to you, must pay God back for God's mercy. Right? God could never forgive a person like me, so I must need to do something to earn that mercy. God would never forgive somebody like the person I know they're going to have to clean up their act first if they're going to earn their way into God's mercy. That's, that's oftentimes our first tendency, not to receive God's mercy, his grace, but instead to feel like somehow we need to earn our way into that grace. I'd like to suggest a better response than feeling that, though. I would suggest that receiving or celebrating or especially rejoicing is the proper response to God's forbearance. I forgive you. Woohoo! <laughs> Not, oh, oh I, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. I'm, I, I'm never going to disappoint you again. No, no, if God says, your sins are forgiven. Party time. <laughs> and isn't that the way Jesus depicts the proper response? The parable of the lost sheep. What do they do when they find the one sheep? Bring it back home to the 99 and invite all the friends and neighbors over and party time. We've got to celebrate. We found the lost sheep. What about the woman that lost the coin, turned her house upside down to find that coin, found the coin, invited all the neighbors over, spent that coin on party stuff. Woohoo, we got to celebrate. 
And the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, comes back home. The father won't even let him get the words, oh, I, I, you know, I'll be a slave to you, I'll be a servant, I'll work off my debt. And he doesn't even have a chance to say that. It's a well-rehearsed well speech. But the father doesn't even give him a chance to, 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 to beg his way back into his good graces. He merely says, put the ring on his finger, put the sandals on his feet, put the robe on his back, kill the fattened, la cat, fattened whatever it is, calf. We're going to have a party. We're going to rejoice. We will be tempted to feel like we have to pay God back for his mercy. But rejoicing is the only legitimate response to the forbearance of God. Another one of my favorite Christian bands is called Mercy Me, and they wrote a song a while ago called Grace Got You. Part of the lyric says, Laugh till your whole side's hurting. Smile like you just got away with something. Why? Because you just got away with something. <laughs> ever since, ever since, grace got you. It doesn't seem right, does it? But God's mercy is poured out. His forbearance, his patience with our stubbornness is poured out so lavishly. It's like we got away with something. When is God going to wake up and realize he's giving us something for nothing? Because that's not the way it works in our world, is it? It's one thing to rejoice for the forbearance that God has shown me. But can I also rejoice for the forbearance God has shown to others? This is the older brother in the parable, isn't it? I've been a good doobie all my life. I've never disappointed you. I've never shamed you. I've never brought down condemnation on this family or our home. And I have never been able to party. And the father says, you've had this all the time. You could do this anytime you want to. But we have to do this because your brother was lost and is now found. Was dead and is now alive. So can I show forbearance to others? Can I rejoice when other undeserving people receive the forbearance of God? God is our example of forbearance. Receiving and rejoicing is the appropriate response, not trying harder. And God's desire is that once we're in relationship with God, we'll live out this same forbearance in our relationship with others. God has been patient with us. He has drawn us into his family. He has welcomed us back with rejoicing. Now he wants us to show patience to the people around us. Who's sitting close to you? In most cases, it's a family member. Perhaps the people we have the most difficulty showing forbearance for, right? Turn to that family member and say, Today, by God's grace, I'm going to be more patient with you. And then let them say the same thing to you. Come on, come on, say it, say it. So rather than going home with grit determination to try to be a more patient person, first we remember how patient God is. 
we remember how much God has forgiven us. We remember how often we have tripped and fallen and God has picked us up. And if you're like me, once you've spent a little, a few minutes thinking about all of those times, all of those incidents, all of those occasions when God needed to be merciful and patient to me, then I say, thank you, Lord. Woohoo! let's have a party because I certainly didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. I wasn't able to do that on my own. And then the third step, to desire forbearance. I want to be more like God. Would you say that with me? I want to be more like God. I really want to be more like God. I love God so much because of his patience in my life. I want to be more like that in the relationships with I. So remember God's forbearance. Rejoice instead of feel like you're going to have to pay it back. And then begin praying, Lord, I want to be more like you. My desire is to be patient as you are patient. My desire is to be kind as you are kind. My desire is to be holy as you are holy. Would you work with me here, work with me here for a moment? Would you bring to your mind one of those besetting sins that has been hardest for you to surrender to God. Maybe it is impatience. I know that's, that's one of my big ones. But whatever it is, what is the, the thing in your life that you, you, you just find cropping up time and time again, struggling, knowing th this isn't the way God wants me to be. This isn't what God wants me to say. This isn't how God wants me to live. But I'm struggling. I just can't get this under control. Do you, do you have that in your mind? Uh, how have you done on grit determination? trying to overcome that just by buckling down and working harder. I mean, that, that's helpful to a point, right? But if you're like me, those besetting temptations and sins and challenges are not the kind of thing that I can do, I can solve, I can overcome on my own. I need to say, Lord, make me more like you. And only you can do that work, right? Another thing to bring to mind, who is the person with whom you have the greatest difficulty forbearing? Who is the person in your life that tests your patience most frequently? No names. But how can we be forbearing with that kind of a person? How can we be successful? The, 900th time every week that they test us. How can we be successful? Is it by grit determination? Is it by grunting louder and, and gritting our teeth and saying, I'm being patient with you. Can't you tell? <laughs> or is it better to say, Lord, you have been patient with me and you have been patient with this person. Now make me patient with this person. Can I desire and accept God's forbearance with no strings attached? 
in my relationships can I desire and envision the other person receiving God's forbearance through me? You know, the value of these parables is that it allows us to stand outside of ourselves and see ourselves more objectively, right? That's why Jesus decided to tell these three parables to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He was hoping by telling the story of a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son that they might have some compassion for the lost people in this world with whom Jesus was having dinner. Perhaps they might even see themselves in the older brother, the stingy, self-righteous, stubborn old brother. The beauty of parables is that they help us to see ourselves. Oh, oh, the tendency is for us to begin to say, oh, well, so-and-so fits this character in the parable. (laughs) I know who the older brother is. I really do. But hopefully, as we read these parables, we begin to say, oh, maybe, maybe there's a bit of that character in me as well. So I hope we don't go home from this sermon saying, I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a more patient person. I'm going to try harder. Because this is impossible without the Holy Spirit of God. I'm sure you would agree with me that forbearance has been perhaps one of those really hot topics for the last year and a half, hasn't it? Nothing like a good pandemic with hundreds of thousands, millions of people dying and all of the fear that crops up in a situation. Nothing like a good pandemic to help us become irritable with one another. Can I get a witness? Right? And it's not just, uh, you know, the other people. It's us, right? As we think about government officials and leaders and the decisions they have made, the orders that they have issued, as we think about scientists and doctors and the recommendations they have given and the opinions they have shared, as we think about the politicized issues at grocery stores and workplaces and congregations, this has been a year and a half full of opportunities to forbear with one another, hasn't it? I I say, hasn't it? why I like that uh, Ellie Holcomb song. Perhaps we've been acting on incomplete information. Perhaps we only know a part of the story. Perhaps we don't have the education and the experience to understand what an opinion really means. You know, we're just ordinary people. It's so easy to complain and to get irritated and to start talking badly about other people instead of forbearing instead of admitting that we might be wrong instead of building a bridge forbearance it's mercy and patience extended to difficult people by God's grace Forbearance is made easier, more successful if we can remember that God has been forbearing with me. That rather than trying to earn it or pay God back, I should just rejoice and receive it. And that I should pray, Lord, make me more like you. 
Would you bow your heads with me as we spend a few minutes here listening to the Holy Spirit? Which of the characters in the prodigal son parable do you identify with? Is it the younger son who's trying to earn his way back into his father's good graces? Is it the older son who doesn't want to extend any patience, any grace, any mercy because the brother doesn't deserve it? Or is it the father who pours out patience and mercy and grace and celebrates so easily? Who are we like? Who am I like? For a moment, would you confess? Would you acknowledge and confess the times where you are impatient, the people with whom you need to forbear and find it so difficult? Would you confess that you can't do this with your own self-help program? Would you remember God's mercy in your life? Would you celebrate God's grace that he's poured out in you? Would you ask God to make you a more forbearing person by his grace? Lord, words pour out of our mouth so easily. And we confess that they're not always edifying words. Lord, we have found more and more opportunities in the last year and a half to complain, to argue, to judge, to condemn. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We've been living like pigs. And if the words haven't come out of our mouth, oftentimes they've been rolling around in our mind. We've thought them even though we might not have said them. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We only know a small part of the story. We only understand a very small part of the story. We don't know why people say and do the things that they do. We can't pretend to understand what's going on in the hearts and mind of minds of even some of the people that are closest to us. Lord, you know exactly what's going on in my heart and my mind, and yet you forgive me. You wait patiently for me to come to my senses. You have welcomed me back home over and over and over again. Father, thank you for your forbearance in my life. I rejoice. It's not my work. It's, it's all been your work. 
and I rejoice in it. And Lord, as we look forward to the week ahead, going to work tomorrow or going about our retirement plans tomorrow or meeting with family members that we don't always see tomorrow, whatever, whatever this week holds, Father, we pray that we would be able to be merciful and patient and kind by your grace and your grace alone. Pour out the fruit of the spirit of forbearance in us, Father. That others might be brought back into relationship. That others might be brought to a place of repentance where others might be brought to salvation. Lord, help us to be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.